You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Lin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 153. Hey guys, as you know, Seventeen Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend Seventeen Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails. So that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where Seventeen Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. Seventeen Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to sagerumor.com/slash-seventeen-hats and find out more about how we use Seventeen Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current Seventeen Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your Seventeen Hats story on our site at sagerumor.com/slash-seventeen-hats. Hi guys, welcome back to the episode of the Home Staging Show. So I've got Madeline Billis on the show today. She's a writer and editor, and also a deputy lifestyle director at Apartment Therapy, where she edits the real estate and living sections for the website. I think Apartment Therapy is a fairly major interior media in the online space here in the states. If you're outside states, you might have seen Apartment Therapy here and there. They do have an international presence as well, but I think most of the readers are based. In the states, Apartment Therapy is based in New York, so they do cover a lot of like local New York and Brooklyn type of homes. But they do have an international reach, and so it's really exciting to have Madeline to come on the show to discuss what is it like to get your staging company into apartment therapy, what that process is like, and what is she looking for as an editor in the real estate section. And she personally loves brutalist buildings, especially ones in New England. And I really enjoy talking to Madeline, not only because she was our mystery judge last month for our monthly staging challenge, but she's also on this year's jury for the International Home Staging Awards, which I'm really excited about. This means that every entry you send in this year is going to be seen. By the real estate editor of Apartment Therapy, and that is really powerful because that means that even if you didn't win the award, you can still ending up getting press coverage by a major media outlet like Apartment Therapy. So I think that is pretty major for this year's jury. We have a really great group this year. Some of them you might already recognize, like Galen, for example, who's been a speaker at SagerCon, who's also teaching a website at our school on April 26 on your staging website and the essentials that goes into it. But also we have Jason, who's been on the podcast before. So. There are some really great jury members this year, and I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited to see what you guys are going to submit. Since we've been running it since 2020, it always feels like a pleasant surprise for you to see staging in many different countries. You know, we have had winners from the UK, from the States, from Thailand, and also Italy, and we got finalists in Poland, and you know, all these different countries. So it's really amazing to see how staging has expanded internationally. But also, what does that look like internationally as well? So yeah, so I'm super excited about this year's awards. Last year, Australia really killed it. I mean, if this were like 
a world singing contest like Eurovision. I think Australia was definitely the biggest winner last year. And Louise, one of the winners from last year, she's also on this year's jury as well. So I'm really excited. I love Louise's work. If you guys are curious about the submission process or you want to submit right now and take advantage of an early bird, just head on to our website at sagingawards.com. If you want to enter into this month's monthly staging challenge, you can also do that as well. That is all on our website. Just go to sagingawards.com. We're going to link that in the show notes so you can find it easily, but you can also find it on our Instagram as well in our link in the bio. And just a quick reminder, we have a couple workshops coming up this month at the school. So I'm going to be teaching a class on presentation. It's actually about sales. It's less about presentation. I'm going to ask you to come with a five-minute presentation. So you are going to introduce yourself to your group, and then we're going to give you feedback live. I know it feels very daunting, but I think one of the things about presenting yourself and also selling yourself is that you need to be memorable when you're talking to people. You can't just introduce yourself like, hi, I'm Cindy, I'm a stager. That is great, but after five minutes, when they walk away from the conversation, they're not going to remember much about what you do and who you are. So this is really about creating an impression. And so that is the same way when it comes to presenting your business in like a real estate office, for example. So that's why I want you to come with a five-minute presentation so we can give you feedback. You're also going to role play and then come back and then see how you have improved. So there's going to be a lot of hands-on exercise. We're definitely going to be working on your sales skill. It's actually not necessarily really about presentation. I feel like it's kind of a misleading way to name it, but I couldn't figure out a better way to name it. So I'm just sticking it with presentation for now. And I mentioned Galen's workshop earlier. Hers is on the 26th. And I think it's a really great workshop on how to develop a website as a homestager. So kind of what the essential things that goes into it, I think it's really important, especially now after COVID, our website really is the number one lead generation tool for a homestaging business. We don't have a physical store that people come into. All people can do is Google and find a stager, right? And hopefully you're on the first page of Google. So Galen has an SEO background and then also website design background as well. She's a website designer. She still designs website for her clients. So I think it's going to be a really great workshop. Even if you don't want to do your own website, I think it's still important to understand so you can communicate with your website designer effectively. So Galen is going to talk about that as well. All right. So that's it for today's intro. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me as a guest. <laughs> yeah, and before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also how did you end up as a real estate editor at Apartment Therapy? Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Basically, I started working as a journalist almost 10 years ago. I got my start as a writer at Boston Magazine, where I oversaw home and property coverage there. So I worked there for about five years, and that's kind of where I got my feet wet doing real estate reporting. Eventually, I took a job in New York. I spent a little time as an editor at Travel and Leisure Magazine before coming to Apartment Therapy, which is where I am now, and I'm the real estate editor there. That's awesome. So did you have your heart set on the real estate section, or did you kind of stumble upon it? It's funny. I... Wouldn't say I had my heart set on it, but it made sense with all of my interests that I would oversee that section. I'm very interested in architecture. I was always looking at real estate listings anyway, and I knew a lot about Boston's neighborhoods. So 
when you took all of the things I liked and put them together, it just sort of made sense that I would work on the real estate section there. That's amazing. So what was that experience like in the starting up phase? We're just sent to different houses and write stories. Like how did you find stories when you were basically a reporter? Yeah. So back at Boston Magazine, it was a lot of combing through listings. So every day I'd get into work, I'd open a listing site to look at the MLS and just see which properties came on the market that day. And I would scroll through them. And I always say I knew which houses I wanted to feature if they sort of like made my eyes feel good. They sort of felt like a massage for my eyes. And so basically I'd pick out some properties that were contenders and every morning I'd write a story for my on the market column, which was a house for sale every single day, like a standout property. And I often, yeah, looked for really neat, really old, really cool houses because Boston, you know, is very historic. Reached out to a lot of real estate agents asking if they had any, you know, neat properties they wanted to feature. And that's sort of how I started making connections with folks and learning about really neat homes that were about to hit the market. That's amazing. So you've been looking at 10 years worth of real estate photography. (laughs) How has the trend changed? I'm really curious. You're consistently looking at every day. Now, 10 years later, I think a lot has changed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What has changed? I mean, I feel like people are really good about not having cords and photos anymore. Not that people use even that many cords anymore (laughs) to begin with, but I feel like you don't see that as much. It's hard to say because there's such a range of properties out there, right? Like when I started, I was writing, I try to feature homes that are sort of mid-level, right? So at apartment therapy, for example, I don't often feature homes for sale that are over the million dollar mark unless they're really neat. It's more interesting and more accessible to feature (laughs) homes below a million dollars. So we could ideally picture ourselves living there one day. So I guess what I mean by that is it depends on what kind of real estate photography you're talking about. I mean, virtual staging, for example, is huge in a lot of photography now when it wasn't as much back in the day, or you could really notice when something was virtually staged. (laughs) And now it's a little harder to tell. So that's something that's changed. But I guess it all depends on the price point you're talking about and the sort of photography that comes along with the property. I imagine staging changed quite a bit as well. I imagine probably 10 years ago, not as many listings were staged, where now it's kind of become more of a consistent standard that the listings look like a certain type of thing. And then people are looking for certain things in the listing photos. Yeah, it's definitely the norm, I would say. And for good reason, right? Because it's not that fun looking at pictures of an empty room. And I certainly don't feature pictures of empty rooms. So it's it's more fun to look at staged properties. I think it's interesting because you mentioned demographic, essentially, in the previous question. Because mm-hmm. essentially, apartment therapy has a very specific demographic. So obviously, you wouldn't feature multi-million dollar homes. That's not who your readers are. Yeah. And I think that's what sets us apart, right? Is a lot of real estate coverage is aspirational and it's featuring these beautiful, sometimes mansions, which have their place. I love to look at them, but at apartment therapy, it definitely is more accessible, less aspirational, more like (laughs) this could be a place you might live one day. And here's how to make that happen. And that's what the real estate section is about. Sort of shedding light on possibilities for living situations like how to rent an apartment, how to buy a house, how to buy a condo. Here's something cool and here's how you can live there. Yeah, I definitely think the coverage is a bit more practical, less aspirational. 
I think the way apartment therapy got started, you know, it was really about DIY and protocol and then how to do all the stuff. So I remember when it first came out, I had that book with the orange cover, which I think they still sell amazon.com. And I still have it on my bookshelf. And I think that was when I first started staging in 2006. And it's evolved quite a bit. I think apartment therapy has become this kind of behemoth, I would say, online media when it comes to all things houses, not only just apartment anymore, but apartment and houses. And now I was looking at your Instagram yesterday, you have 3 million followers. I mean, it's quite a lot. So I imagine you guys have now a lot of editorial, like a big team. So how do you guys get together and then make sure that you can support so much content generation? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think you're right. Apartment Therapy has morphed into this really impressive media company. And even from the beginning, I think we've been famous for our house tours. And many of those house tours are featured on our Instagram, obviously, which is where a lot of our content is spotlighted. But Basically, we have a 13-person editorial team. And so we have editors who oversee specific sections. But then beyond that, there are so many other departments that work together to make apartment therapy what it is. So we have our audience growth team who runs our Instagram, for example, and our other social handles. We have a commerce team. We have an art and photo team. We have a video team, developers, sales. It adds up to quite a lot of people. But when we're talking... Strictly writers and editors, it's 13 of us. How many stories would you say you have to generate every single week for just the real estate section? Yeah, so for me, and I would say most of the other editors on my team, we're putting out two to three stories per day per section. So I guess I'm thinking about what there's over 50 stories a week, I would say, (laughs) from apartment therapy in general. But on my end, it's at least two per day. Wow, that's a lot, actually. And so do you always generate new content or do you guys try to repurpose the older content as well? Yeah, I would say most of our time is spent working on creating new content, though there is a pretty robust effort to refresh and repurpose archive content because, you know, a lot of the stuff we said about design in 2015, it still holds true. We still have a lot of really neat stories from back then. So there's a delicate balance. But yeah, most of what I do is creating new stories. Yeah, like you said, I mean, design theory kind of stays true over time. It can be challenging to try to always find that fresh angle to cover new stories. Do you ever run into that yourself? Or is there certain things that you're always looking for when you're looking at new stories? I guess when it comes to new stories, specifically in the real estate section, something a lot of journalists and editors ask themselves when writing a story is why now? So maybe I'm working on a story about escalation clauses, for example, (laughs) in real estate. What do we have to say about escalation clauses now? What makes them different now compared to last year, the year before, a different kind of market? And so it's all about timeliness. For example, I have a story coming up about how escalation clauses are sort of falling out of favor in this crazy market because it's such a fast-paced market. They don't really make sense for buyers or sellers anymore. So I would say you can always take a concept in real estate or any sort of, you know, in style or organizing and cleaning or whatever, and put it through the lens of what makes this relevant now? What aspect of this should we tell a story about? Yeah, I think that's important to try to kind of make it relevant to today's audience, because what has worked in 2015 may not work today, right? A lot of things we thought was working and now it doesn't read so well. It just doesn't age. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a readjustment 
and also refreshing that content to make sure we are up to date to things. Yeah, exactly. And so usually when you're planning out your editorial calendar, how do you go about to plan your content and also decide what to cover? So basically every month I sit down and I plan the content for the following month, paying attention to real estate trends, what people are talking about on social media, what readers and commenters seem to be wondering about. And I look at what stories people have clicked on the most, right? And so I try to balance what people are interested in with what I think they should know about going into the month ahead. I mean, the home buying market, as you know, is just bonkers right now. So recently, it's been a lot of guiding people through such a crazy, stressful time. I mean, readers are always interested in tips from homestagers, for example, because they're the ones sprucing up and, and neutralizing a home before a sale. And they have a lot of quick tips and tricks up their sleeves to make a space look great in a short amount of time, right? And so I think that's what draw people's in. And is it difficult for you to always find new stories? Because like we just talked about, you need to put out two a day. So that's quite a bit of stories to find. You'd think it'd be harder, but the ideas are out there. So the idea generation process is a combination of me brainstorming and then getting pitches from freelance writers. So I manage a team of about 30 freelance writers and they're the ones doing the reporting. They develop real estate agent and home stager sources who they turn to for interviews when they're writing stories. And so those folks often inspire story ideas. It's a mix of those ideas from writers and ideas from me and other folks on the team. But I often try to give writers direction when asking for pitches, but that's kind of the rundown. That's amazing. And so how do you normally find your freelance writers? That's also a mix too. So when I started as real estate editor at Apartment Therapy, there are already some people here who were writing great stories and I kept them on the team. I reach out to people I find on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn, folks who have experience writing real estate stories. And sometimes people just reach out to me and they have a great idea and we run it, we work on it together. And it turns out they have more great ideas and it just sort of goes from there. So they come from everywhere, which is great. That's amazing. I think it's so important, the writing bits of it as well. And then also, I think today's writing, also you have to think about SEO as well. Do you take that into consideration when you guys put your articles together in terms of search engine optimization and keywords and all that? We have an SEO editor at Apartment Therapy who's great about identifying keywords that we should pursue and, and helping us optimize our stories. And so that is a responsibility that falls under the audience growth team. And they sort of help all the editors at Apartment Therapy figure out the best ways to work on SEO and all our stories. That's so cool. I wish I have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a big help. Whatever you're covering, you need to make sense for your audience, right? So it makes sense to look at the audience comments, you know, and also what they're clicking on because it shows, like the behavior really shows what they're interested in. But ultimately, I think especially with online publication or being found online nowadays, there's so many competition out there. So SEO is super important. Yes, definitely. And I think the other big part probably is photography, right? Because no one wants to just look at words. Ultimately, we will say most people want to look at houses. <laughs> so photograph is very important. Do you usually send photographers out to cover the stories or they pitch you? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, the answer is neither. So most of the photos we feature on the site are repurposed from our home tours. Our house tours editor 
hires photographers to go and shoot regular people's homes, the ones that we're featuring on the site. And those photos, in addition to being featured in the house tour article, also get used in other types of content as well. So if there's like a really beautiful bathroom from a recent house tour and I'm writing a story about beautiful bathrooms, maybe I'll use that image. But sometimes images come from homestagers as well. If I'm featuring a before and after project, I'll use their images or sometimes we'll pull stock images. So it's a range of sources. That's so interesting to know, actually. I think a lot of stagers, they want to approach press and then it's really difficult for them to do because they're not sure where to start. So let's say we have some listeners want to send you stories of their stage homes. What is the best way to approach you to do that? Or it's actually terrible. They should just pitch to your writer instead. Is there a certain methodology that you recommend people do when they want to DIY their press? Yeah, I would definitely recommend that home stagers pitch me I guess before doing that, before emailing me, I'd ask them to take a look at the homestage or before and after stories we've already published to see what kind of information we include in those. Yeah. And then go ahead and email me some photos. And, you know, usually I look for a stark transformation between the before and the after photos with the possibility to identify some concrete takeaways for the reader. Even if the person reading the story, like, isn't selling their house tomorrow, can they still learn from this project? So Maybe the stager brightened up a bedroom by adding some sheer white curtains to the window or something like that. Like that's a lesson somebody can employ in their own home if they've got like an especially dark room or something like that. The other thing I would say is, yeah, to have the photos easily accessible, maybe in a a Google Drive or a Dropbox link or something like that, and then include information about how the photo should be credited, because that is information that I'm always trying to track down at the last minute. So to have it easily accessible is perfect. (laughs) That's really good to know, actually, because proper copyright crediting is really important, I think, especially in online media. A lot of people are not doing that properly. So thank you for doing that from a photographer point of view. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. What are some of the things that you see people make mistakes on when they're pitching you? Let's say maybe they send you like 50 photos at once, just pick whatever you want. You know, what are some of the things that can definitely just be like, no, sorry, we don't want this at all? Yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't say I'm like inundated with pitches from Hope Stagers, and I wish I was because I'm always looking for new projects. So it's hard for me to say if there are many mistakes because I don't get a lot of photo submissions. But, I feel like you'll get inundated after this podcast. <laughs> I welcome it. Honestly, I do. But I would say to be more general when it comes to like freelance writers, maybe stagers as well, or other sort of real estate professionals, the most common mistake is like being too general, right? So sometimes a writer will email me and say, I want to write about my moving experience with no like details or or takeaways. And usually I would, I want a specific angle for a story and Something that helps with that, and maybe this is helpful for homestagers as well, is suggesting a headline for it. So you'll see in, you know, homestager before and afters, we'll say like, see how this kitchen was transformed from a dark dated space into a bright, breezy room or something like that. So if the homestager has an idea of how the space was transformed, that's even better. Basically, any sort of lessons or takeaways they can provide, I think, is, is very helpful. Yeah, or something that people really haven't seen before. Maybe you are based in Chicago and you've done a house that was built in Prohibition. It has a secret cellar, that kind of thing. I imagine could be very cool for your audience to find out more about it. 
Yeah, anything out of the box, anything super unique, anything you wouldn't find elsewhere. We love that kind of stuff. But also, I love run-of-the-mill projects too, where it's like you take the most drab bedroom you can find. (laughs) You think like, what could make this room any better? And then the after photo is just unrecognizable. Just a few like quick, simple changes, you know? The transformation aspect is always really stunning. We see that a lot on social media now too, with reels and people doing Ikea makeover or, you know, putting up their old molding and then repaint everything makes the room look super high end, but it's just actually a few simple DIY jobs. Yes, exactly. And we're all about that at apartment therapy. And so do you mostly produce print content for your real estate section or do you also start doing video as well? We start seeing that on social media. Everyone wants video content now. Yeah. So we actually have a separate video team who works on our videos and they are top-notch. They create videos for YouTube, for Instagram, for TikTok, and I'm sure a few other places. But if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, you should because their work is amazing. They do some really, really great stuff. And yeah, Apartment Therapy is also on TikTok if you're interested in seeing some of those, the content that's like, yeah, IKEA transformations or any sort of DIY stuff. We've got that covered and it's really, it's really something. And also, I imagine you being a real estate editor, you probably know quite a bit of real estate because you simply have to do a lot of research about every single market that you cover. Would you say that's true? Here's what I'll say. I do know a lot about real estate. The thing about journalism and being a writer and being an editor is not being an expert per se, but knowing who to reach out to, who knows what you need to know. So maybe I couldn't answer every single question on home buying, but I know who could. (laughs) And I'd go to them to find out what the answers are. So my strength is knowing who to turn to. But in terms of, you know, knowing the ins and outs of markets across the country, I hesitate to say that I know very much about that. Obviously, I I know about the general trends, but my strengths lie in identifying the best real estate agents and home stagers to tell me what I need to know. And so how can we be that person for you? Let's say that we're interested in getting into a publication, being covered, this obviously will bring profile to our home staging business. How can I be that go-to stager that reporter calls on to get interviews from? Yeah, that's great. One way, I guess, would be to email me and let me know you're interested in being interviewed. It's definitely a good way to do it. Another way would, yeah, be to reach out to some of the real estate writers on the team, the freelancers who are the ones going out and doing the reporting. Sometimes my writers will ask me for suggestions of people to reach out to, and I'll give them a couple names. And other times they'll find them themselves. And so if you notice there's one writer who's keeps reporting on stuff you're interested in, I would shoot them an email because I'm sure they'd be more than happy to hear from you. Yeah. And I also think it's really important to do the research on the publication that you are pitching to, right? Because let's say if I'm pitching Homes and Garden, that's probably a very different demographic than your reader at Apartment Therapy. So if someone who's not familiar yet with a publication or exactly what their demographic is, what are some of the ways that we can do research to find out? Something that public relations folks do is check out a publication's media kit where you can see their circulation, learn more about the brand, understand their mission statement, stuff like that. If your goal is to get in the real estate section of apartment therapy, probably the easiest thing to do would be to open the real estate section of apartment therapy and tool around, click on some stories, what's popping up at the top of the site, what people are interested in, that kind of thing. So it's a lot of reading, I would say. 
and checking out the stuff that people are, are engaging with on social media. So if one of our Instagram posts has outperformed all the others, maybe that's something. Maybe you should try to tailor your pitch to a bedroom. If for some reason, bedrooms are performing really well on our Instagram or something like that. Yeah, I think people always love bedroom, especially now with work from home. People really want like a really nice bedroom that they can turn to at the end of the day. Especially, I think with COVID and everything, that line between work and home has been really blurred. I'm sure last year you saw a huge spike in readership as well, just because people want to start beautifying their home to have a better environment to work in. Yes, apartment therapy's mission statement is creating a happier, healthier life at home. And that's certainly what people were interested in last year and continue to be, I would say, which is really exciting, right? Because <laughs> people like you and I have always been interested in creating <laughs> happy, healthy homes. So it's nice that everyone else is interested too. Yeah. And I find it really amazing because I remember when I first started reading Apartment Therapy in 2006, I think that was where it started. And it was by your founder, Maxwell, who was an interior designer. And his mission really was that, to build a happy, healthy home. And so it's actually really nice and refreshing to see that how that stayed consistently. And then I think your demographic always have been very consistent as well. And I think that is really nice to have that brand clarity in terms of what you want to accomplish as an organization. Yeah, exactly. And the loyalty of the readers is pretty remarkable as well, right? It's like you can recall back to the early 2000s when you were reading the site and you still are, you know, and there's a lot of readers like that who have stuck with us for many years. So I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I think also it's interesting from the editorial point of view because your reader has grown as well, right? I was in my mid-20s when I started reading Apartment Therapy, now I'm in my middle age. And so do you feel that your content has grown up a little bit as well? When I first started reading, you didn't have a real estate section. That's probably added later on. And I think it makes sense because I was a reader once in my mid-20s. And now people my age probably have bought houses or are interested in buying houses at this point. So it's kind of interesting to see how the organization has grown over years as well. Yeah, the real estate section is fairly new. I'm blanking on the year that it was founded, but maybe 2016. Has this grown up? I'm not sure if I would classify it as that, but yes, we've definitely expanded into other areas of coverage, right? Like what you were mentioning before about it being a DIY forward sort of site. Those were the beginnings and we still publish a lot of great DIY content. Our home projects editor, Megan, is the best. But we've branched out a little bit and our lifestyle section is proof of that. We do more general lifestyle content now and we do try to serve readers of all ages. I'm particularly interested in aging in place content and hope to cover that more in the new year. We, I guess, strive to be a home for everyone looking to make their homes better, right? So from college kids in dorms to empty nesters to the folks in between, trying to get you all to read apartment therapy. <laughs> exactly. And I think that aging in place is actually a very important topic. I think also with COVID, it really has changed the trend in housing, isn't it? You know, before we think about we're going to change our house as we kind of move through the different phase in our life. Let's say we got married, now we have children, so then we need a bigger house. And then once we get old, we downsize. But now the aging in place, I think it's becoming a trend to come back. Also, with the idea of being more eco-friendly, the greenest thing is actually just stay in your own house, right? And then upcycle it, essentially. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's something I'm interested in sort of digging into and exploring in 2022, because I think as people decide that that's what they want to do in their homes and with their homes, they're going to need some guidance on it, right? And so ideally, apartment therapy could provide that. If there's anyone out there who wants to be a source (laughs) for stories like that, please do email me because I'm interested in in learning more. (laughs) What would you say are the trends that you're seeing coming up in 2022? I guess the trends would be right now is the housing market not slowing down to the degree that people want it to, right? Like there's still a lot of pent up demand there. And while it's not going to be as crazy as the frenzy of summer 2020, there's still going to be a lot of demand. So don't expect (laughs) the competition to just go poof and, you know, 2022 is going to be a breeze because it won't. But a couple other things I would say, I think buyers are interested in in eco-friendly features. They've become more important to people as well as ways people can take care of their health in their home, like in-home fitness. New apartment buildings are catering to folks by adding more than just gyms to their apartments. They are looking to be a place where basically you never leave, which is kind of crazy. So I would say home health, being green at home are two big themes for the year. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Because Lululemon just bought this whole in-home fitness thing called Mirror, right? It's essentially a giant monitor on the wall and you can just follow the instructor on the TV or on the monitor to work out. Yeah, exactly. You know, while people are interested in going back to gyms, I still think at-home fitness is going to be a big topic in 2022, as will moving. People were moving to places temporarily at the beginning of the pandemic and maybe spent some time somewhere else in 2021 when they were working remotely. And now 2022 is the time where it's like, okay, where are you going to go if you've been a remote worker this whole time? Or even if you haven't, even if you've been in the same place the whole time with your kids at home doing remote learning, I still think it's going to be the year of moving, whether it's moving out of cities, moving into cities. I think people are making changes and they're going to need some guidance when it comes to moving as well. That's actually me next year. <laughs> I'll be oh, yeah? around. Yeah, because I've been living in California since mid-90s. And I've taken some break, you know, because I was getting my master abroad. And I thought about going to New York actually next year, possibly. And so I'm going over in April to kind of check out the neighborhood. I haven't been to New York over a decade. I'm sure it's changed a lot, especially after COVID. Because I also do work in the photography side. A lot of artists do live in New York. It's a different vibe, different scene as well. And because we run the school, everything essentially is virtually. I can just, all I need really is internet. (laughs) Yeah, it's given people a lot of freedom. But people have also had a lot of time to like sit with themselves, think about what they value and what they want and realize maybe they want to make a change. Maybe they want to try something new. So yeah, I hope I hope you do come to New York. That's where I am now. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I know um, rent is high in New York. Rent is really high in San Francisco as well. Because I've gone to markets like London or Paris or really expensive cities. So I'm like, oh, rent is cheaper here. And people are like, no, rent is very expensive. I was like, wait until you come over to Bay Area or like New York, then you will really feel, oh my God, we're spending so much time and money on this little box that we live in. Yes, that is how I feel about my my studio. <laughs> Good luck deciding. I have a story coming out soon too about how to decide where to move when you have seemingly unlimited options, right? If you could go anywhere, how do you decide where to go? 
I know because you do cover so much and you look at so many photographs in general. So I'm really curious, what would you say makes a good photograph when it comes to interior photography? I feel like a photograph of an interior specifically needs to have something that catches your eye, right? Obviously you want the photo to be visually interesting, but sometimes with staged homes, for example, everything is so so neutral and so inoffensive that it's like, you know, what am I looking at here? And you need something to draw your eye in and keep it and lead your eye to other parts of the room. So whether that's a pop of color or a pattern or a texture, something to add that element of contrast, you know? Yeah. I think essentially it needs to tell that story, right? About what that house is about or that apartment's about, or even the inhabitant, like who's going to live there, who's living there now, what is their lifestyle like? And I, I see that on Instagram, especially there's that trend where people are really leaning toward more kind of lifestyle-y kind of interior photos nowadays. And we start seeing that in real estate photography as well. At least I think here on the West Coast, I definitely see that in the bigger markets like New York, San Francisco kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Photos that tell a story are super important because they can sort of give you an idea of the possibilities for a certain space. Like who would thrive here? Who would want to live in this kind of home? And ideally the photo will be able to tell you some of that. Yeah. And are there specific locations that you cover a lot? Because obviously I think apartment therapy started in New York. So I see a lot of Brooklyn homes, for example, feature on the site. But I know you pull to our finalists from our monthly staging challenge and one of them's in Toronto. So is there a specific location you always seek stories from or it doesn't matter? It really depends on the project. I would say, yeah, it depends on the project. I mean, we feature homes internationally, though in the real estate section specifically, I often focus on North America and the United States in general. So across the country and a little bit beyond, right? I feature homes from coast to coast in Toronto and Quebec sometimes, maybe Mexico, but it depends. Like our house tour section has amazing homes from all over the world. They're lovely, but it gets a little complicated when... I'm suggesting you go buy a house in France or something like that, (laughs) but why not, right? Yeah, one can dream, right? (laughs) (laughs) I met this woman randomly online and she bought Julia Child's old house and now they rent it out as a retreat place and they're doing gangbuster, obviously, this is Julia Child's old home and all the food photographer and sellers want to do retreats there. Yes, I actually am familiar with that story. I think we profiled the buyer of that place on Boston Magazine because Julia Child lived in Cambridge for a long time. But yeah, it's La Pichun. I'm very familiar. I love Julia Child. <laughs> Everyone loves Julia Child. How can you hate a woman who loves butter and love to eat, you know? Perfect. <laughs> and then also, usually when you're preparing for stories, how fast is usually the turnaround? Let's say a writer has an idea, comes to you, there you have a source lineup, or maybe they're still interviewing. How fast does that get turned into a story? It depends. But in general, I try to give a writer at least two weeks to do their reporting and do the writing. Often it's longer than that, though, because I do plan pretty far in advance. I plan obviously a month in advance, but sometimes two months in advance, depending on what's what's happening. That's a general answer. But say, you know, a study from Zillow comes out tomorrow and I want a story up the next morning. That can happen, too. It can depend on a writer's availability, but anything goes in the crazy world of media. (laughs) And do you still write stories yourself or it's all assigned out to your freelance writers? I do write stories myself. Yeah, I write our property crush column every week, 
which is just featuring a lovely house for sale somewhere in the United States or Canada. And I also write features and fun posts from time to time. I just wrote a fun cover story over the summer about time capsule houses and sort of why we should protect them because I'm very into vintage and retro home features. So that was a really fun one to report. I spent a couple months talking to old house experts. So I'd, I would check it out. I imagine that's quite fun, especially in your market in New York. There's actually also a lot of historical properties as well. And, you know, the architecture detail is really what attract people in. And we see that here in the Bay Area too. We have a lot of older like Victorian homes that maybe got modernized on the inside, but they still kept all the molding and stained glass and like medallion and all that. Yes. Yeah. I'm a sucker for those features, but I'm also a sucker for, you know, some good shag carpeting, <laughs> some good pink tiles in the bathroom, stuff like that. I love all of it. We got a lot of those here. That was basically my primary market. It's the 70s pink shot carpet. that are three inches tall. <laughs> they like grass when you walk in. They're essentially time capsule. Like our homeowner didn't move out for 30, 40 years, essentially. Usually we go in, it's like a state sales. All their everything. China is 30 years old. And sometimes we see fur coat or like vintage fashion all laid out. It's quite amazing to see. It is. Yeah. To see something that's almost untouched for so long is, it's hard to find nowadays. And the style is back too, right? I mean, you look at wood paneling. I feel like I see wood paneling everywhere now and (laughs) it's back. Yeah. I don't know why it's come back, but I guess it's come back in the more updated sense, not like that weird cabin kind of murderous house type of wood paneling that we see in horror stories. Personally, I love that kind of wood paneling. Give me the weird fake wood anytime. <laughs> Very 70s. Very funny. Usually when you get a lot of pitches, I assume you don't take on every single pitch. Is there a certain criteria or just really depends on what the readers want nowadays? Yeah, it depends. I mean, yeah, obviously I cannot accept every pitch. I am particularly interested in really unique personal essays, really unique projects, for example, But yeah, I would say it also depends on what people are clicking on, right? If it seems like something that would perform pretty well on the site, I'll usually give it a shot. What would you say are some of the things that people are clicking on now, like a lot? Yeah, good question. They're really curious about a lot of our how-to content when it comes to how to buy. Earlier this year, we released a newsletter called Home Economics from the Real Estate Section, which is a six-week newsletter program that basically is a jumpstart into learning how to buy a house. And people are really enthusiastic about that, especially newbies to the market, people who've never bought before, but are their interest was peaked because you know everybody was buying last year and this year. So that kind of stuff has been doing great for good reason. And like I mentioned earlier, people are really interested in what home stages have to say when it comes to sprucing up a space, decluttering, for example, making a space feel bigger or brighter, which I think is something a lot of people strive to do in their own homes and maybe aren't sure how. And obviously a designer can help with that. But there's something special about the knowledge of a homestager who really has to nail it (laughs) to make the sale, right? That I think people are drawn to and are interested in their expertise. And I remember a few years ago, we had a story do great about homestagers like tricks to making your bed look great. 
And I think it was because they used a steamer, right? On the dust ruffle and the comforter. And it's like, I never thought of that. But home stagers, they've got all these tips and tricks <laughs> that people are curious yeah. about. Yeah, I also used to overstuff the bed. That helps. Because I also used to do uh, visual merchandising. And if you go into a pottery barn store, for example, and you pull back the bedding, it's usually three or four duvets stuff inside. That's why it looks so fluffy and amazing, like a hotel one. Yes. And that's a great tip too. I mean, and that's the kind of stuff that I think people are curious about and they click on. They want to know these expert tips and tricks that they can employ in their own homes. Yeah. Some people that would be really good for your interview is also bedding stylist because they know all the tips and tricks on how to make the bedding looks amazing and beautiful. Because I also used to work on photo shoots and they always have these like little cotton slot balls that they stuff in the corner of the pillow so that it like stands up really straight. I always find that super amazing. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. And I'm sure folks do the same when it comes to comes to real estate listings and things like that. And so tell us a little bit about how our readers can find you. Do they just go on apartmenttherapy.com and then they can just Google and find you? Yeah. So my email is in my author page. If you just Google Madeline Billis Apartment Therapy, my page will come up and my email is there. It's madeline.billis at apartmenttherapy.com. If you're interested in pitching another editor, we're all easily accessible on the team page on apartmenttherapy.com. And yeah, if you need to be pointed in the right direction, if you heard me on this podcast and you're not sure who to reach out to, you just ask me and I'll tell you. But yeah, hopefully my email is not too hard to find. That's amazing. I usually have this impression of editors being hard to reach. I think especially as photographers, when you have to pitch your photos to magazines, and usually they always seem very unattainable. There's five assistants guarding their inbox, and then you have to like send a really contact sheet with very low res in the sense that you're not clogging their inbox by having giant files. Is there a perfect number of photos that people should send you when they're pitching you for stories? Yeah, I guess I would say five or six. You're right. Some people do send me 30 and it's a little overwhelming. It's too much. Six is probably the most, but honestly, just one before and one after is fine too. And if I'm interested, I can ask for more. Yeah, I know what you mean about editors sometimes being hard to reach, but I guess my philosophy is that, you know, I'm not going to find those harder to reach projects if there's a big wall between us, you know? So hopefully, you know, we'll publish some stagers and designers who have work that has yet to be discovered. And then usually when you are looking at pitches, does it have to be the entire house from the project or it can be a single room? Because I know when we talk about it, you're like, I want kitchen and I want bedroom. And, you know, you want very specific before and after photos. Yes. So for the stuff that I do in the real estate section, usually it's just one room. We focus on one room and how it has been transformed by staging. But I mean, if you have a whole house and you're not sure which room would be good to feature, feel free to send the whole house. But typically, yeah, stories focus on one room. Does some room perform better than the other in the whole house? Because I think kitchen or bedroom probably are the most popular ones, I would say. I think there's a time and a place for every room, right? I mean, recently we had a a neat looking retro living room that, that was transformed and kept some of those retro elements and readers love that. So it all depends on what the transformation was like, right? I mean, if you've got a really dingy looking like old kitchen and then the after photo is a bright modern airy space there's a shock element to that and so I think it all depends on the transformation rather than the specific room 
Got it. And then also, I'm sure the quality of the photo is also very important. So if they take it on their iPhone, but it's crooked or very dark, then as an editor, you're probably like, we're not able to publish this, regardless how great the transformation is. Yeah, sometimes I take into account that before photos aren't going to be perfect (laughs) because you're not really thinking about taking a great photo of a before. But yeah, if they're really dark or really grainy, it can be tough. But I would always recommend folks submit the highest res possible, even if it's too high. And I can always shrink it down because high res works great. And do you guys do any sort of photo retouching once you get the photo submissions? No, we don't. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I always wonder about that, actually, because, yeah, let's say they send you a photo, it looks great, but just slightly darker. I was like, oh, I wonder if they're just going to fix it, that kind of thing. Yeah, at least I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're coming to the end of our show, and then we just have one last question, really. What is the number one tip you give to homestager when it comes to getting themselves published in press? I guess my number one tip would be to start local. So if you don't have a lot of experience pitching projects to magazines or websites, you know, set your sights on a local magazine or newspaper first, because I think of my days back at Boston Magazine, where I was always trying to find Boston area projects to feature and sometimes had trouble. You know, when you're pitching a city magazine or website, you've already got one element of what they want, which is a local project. So (laughs) you're sort of one foot in the door that day. Whereas pitching apartment therapy, for example, you're competing with homestagers nationally, which I welcome and it's fine. But if you want to get your foot in the door, perhaps starting at a local pub is the way to go. I think that's really good advice. And actually, I think one of our students, she actually just wrote to the editor and see if they want her to write a column like every month just on real estate and staging. And they were like, yeah, please do because we need content. Mm-hmm. So that could be just a really quick and easy way to get your foot into the door and be exposed to a lot of you know real estate agents and sellers in your local area. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I know it's at the end of your day. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks again for having me. This was really fun. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.